Morning. Good morning and welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are grateful for a warm place to worship on a rather cold day. We're glad that you have chosen to worship with us at Covenant Presbyterian Church. If you are a visitor, we welcome you in the name of the Lord. We're glad you're here. If you have any questions, please see me or see Ben or see one of the elders or deacons. You probably know some of them. They're listed on the back of your bulletin. Today, Andrew Steele brings a host of people with him to watch him be baptized. We're always glad when we have a baptism, there's special events. We are really glad to have Lamar here. Uh, we've missed Lamar. So he's undergone some radiation and things like that. Good to see him here. We're going to make it. We set him up front where he behaved. And he laughed. So anyway, uh, the ladies' council will meet this afternoon at 4.30. Also, the elders will meet as well. Ben will be preaching tonight. Uh, the Bible studies and prayer breakfasts and Wednesday nights, they will all be to be announced depending on the weather. Uh, you know, we uh, might get something, we might not. But anyway, be watching for announcements about all the events of this week, and we'll let you know plenty ahead of time. We uh, don't want anybody to get out and get hurt, have a wreck or anything like that. Uh, anybody else have any more announcements? If not, we'll prepare our hearts to worship God together. Lord calls us to worship him this morning from Colossians chapter 3. Let's read responsively as we come before the Lord. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory.
Lord our God, you are worthy of all praise and adoration. All glory is to be ascribed to you, for all glory belongs to you, our God. You are our rock, our refuge, our place of safety from storm and trial. And we praise you, O God, that you have drawn us to yourself in our Lord Jesus Christ, that you have raised us with him, that you have put us to death in him so that we may live in him, just as he died on the cross. So our sin has been put to death. And just as he was raised, so also we have been raised to new and blessed life. How could we not come and ascribe to you glory and honor and blessing and praise? So fill us with the truth of your word and the goodness of the gospel that we may have many things for which we can sing glory to our God. It is right for us to praise you. Send your Holy Spirit to bless this time that you may be extolled and adored and that we, your people, may be built up and edified for the sake of our Savior, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it all in his name. And now we pray together as he himself taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We profess our faith together this morning using the Apostles' Creed. I'll ask you, let's respond together. Christians, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Take your hymnals and let's sing praise to our God. Number 168, I greet thee who my sure Redeemer art.
may be seated. What a glorious hymn that is. It praises God. Church has been singing that hymn since the time of the Reformation. And as you uh, meditate on the words, you realize how, why it is so. Because it worships God in a supreme manner because of who He is and what He does for us in Christ. It is our great privilege to have a baptism. Andrew Steele comes to be baptized this morning. And because of that, it is my great privilege and honor uh, and responsibility to describe why we baptize our children. And we do that not only because we live in a time and a place where most of the people in our geographical location are baptized by immersion uh, when they make a profession of faith. And yet we believe that the Bible teaches that the way that we should baptize is baptize our children because they're covenant children. And the key to understanding baptism of children is to understand there's a covenant of grace that started at the time of Adam and Eve's failure. When the covenant of works was broken by their disobedience, God instituted the covenant of grace. And from that time on, God has saved every person the same way, by grace through faith and that not of themselves, not of works, lest any should boast. The law was never a means to by which people were to be saved. It was an expression of the holy life filled with gratitude for God for his salvation. In the Old Testament, the sacraments were a little bit different. The signs were different. You had circumcision and you had Passover. And now in the, in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, you have circumcision giving way to baptism. And you have uh, Passover giving way to the Lord's Supper. And you say, well, show me where there are scriptures that say that. Well, in the New Testament, when Peter offered the gospel to the people at Pentecost, he said, the promise is to you and to your children, to as many as the Lord our God shall call unto himself. He assumed that Jewish people would have their children with them. They were part of the old covenant. They'd be part of the new covenant. And then in Colossians 2, 11 and 12, the apostle Paul equates and uses in in, in uh same language, uh, a synonym, I couldn't think of the word, a synonym between uh, baptism and circumcision, Colossians 2, 11 and 12. You were circumcised when? When you were baptized. And so there is really a clear indication that we should baptize our children as covenant children. Uh, these are, I have to say, baptism is a sign. It's a points to something else. A sign, you know, if you see a sign that says the zoo that away, the zoo's not here, the zoo's way over there. These are signs. They point our children to Christ and the blood of Christ if they need them. They're not the reality. Uh, these are also seals. If you are to take a document and you sometimes have to have it notarized, they take that thing and they crimp the paper, they notarize it, give it a seal. It has authority behind it. Baptism is a seal. It is a seal of God. God has said, put this on your children just like you did circumcision. And what you're doing is you're putting the promises of God on them. That water says, Andrew, Steele, Taylor, this promise is for you. And if you will believe it, you will be saved. It is yours. And so I have to say it's a sign. It doesn't save. It's a seal that puts the promises of God on them. And the baptism uh, is done in the presence of faith, the parents' faith. And lastly, it's uh, done in a Christian community with covenant. It takes a church to raise a child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so we baptize uh, Andrew Steele Taylor into the church of the living God. Would the Taylors come up together with the elders as well? Questions to you as parents, 
Do you acknowledge your child's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the new grace of the Holy Spirit to you? Do you claim God's covenant promises on his behalf and do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation as you do your very own duty? Do you now unreservedly dedicate your child to God and promise in humble reliance upon his divine grace that you'll endeavor to set before him a godly example, that you'll pray with him and for him, that you'll teach him the doctrines of our religion, that you'll strive by all means of God's appointment to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, do you? And as a congregation, do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting these parents in the Christian nurture of their children? If you do, please raise your right hand. <coughs> Christian name of this young boy is Andrew Steele Taylor. Andrew Steele Taylor, child of the covenant. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And may the blessings of the triune God be on you now and forever. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, y'all just let him do that to me? <laughs> Pray together. Heavenly Father, we are amazed uh, that you have this covenant with your people. That Lord Jesus, that you love us so much, you're willing to give up your life for us, sinners, all broken. Lord, we lift up Andrew to you, Lord. We know he's a handsome, beautiful little baby, but Lord, he's a sinner. And Father, we pray that you'd pour your spirit upon him in a mighty way to change him so that he would follow the Lord Jesus, that he would see that wonderful, sweet grace of loving his Lord and Savior. Father, we lift up Morgan and Bradley to you. Father, parenting is not easy. Lord, we pray that you give them strength, that you give them endurance, that you give them wisdom to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Father, we're so thankful for our church body here and those that raise their hand to be an example, to take a vow to, to live a righteous life before this young man. Father, I pray that you give us that courage and that strength to do that, Lord. You know we're sheep. We, we are led easily astray. Father, point us, and Lord, the Spirit, constantly point us to our Savior because we are not good enough. This water that we've seen this morning points us to the blood. Give us our faith in that and not ourselves. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea, and he rides upon the storm. 128, God moves in mysterious ways. pray. Father, you are good. You give good gifts to your children. Father, you are wise and you guide us in paths of righteousness. You're gracious and you do not hold our sins against us. You're full of mercy. You give strength to the miserable and to the weak. Father, you're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our lives, our, our hearts. We give them to you. We know that giving is but a reflection of what's important to us. The tithe and the offering reflects our heart as well as our obedience. So may we give from cheerful hearts. May we give what, not under compulsion, but what we decided to give in our own hearts and give it with faith, knowing that you'll use it to spread the gospel throughout the world. And we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.
Thank you, choir. If you'll turn again to Hebrews chapter 11, we've been there several weeks. Those of you who have not been here, I give you just a brief summary of what's going on. Hebrews chapter 11 is the roll call of the faithful. It follows after Hebrews 10:29, where the apostle is warning the people that uh, you're, there's a danger of falling away. There's a danger that these Jewish Christians that are now facing persecution are going to go back to Judaism and leave not only the church, but leave Christ. And so the whole book has been warning them, don't drift away, don't fall away, don't harden your hearts. And then he comes to the end of chapter 10 and he says, but I know you're not the type of people that are going to fall away. But if you're going to continue in the faith, you have to learn how to live by faith. And chapter 11 gives you about 25 examples of how to live by faith. So I want to read Hebrews chapter 11, 17 uh, through 19. Then I want to go back to Genesis 22 for a few minutes. 17 of chapter 11. By faith, when God tested him, Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaiah that your offspring will be reckoned. And Abraham reasoned that God would raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Then go back to the original story of that account in Genesis 22. And you read this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the mountain of Moriah. Sacrifice him there with burnt offerings on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went together and Isaac... Isaac Isaac spoke to him and said, Abraham, father. Yes, my son, Abraham said. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. And where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood and then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven Abraham Abraham here I am he replied do not lay a hand on the boy do not do anything to him now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your own son from me your only son and Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram and caught it by its horns he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day on the mountain, Lord, it will be provided. This is God's word. Let's pray. Open our eyes, uh, open our ears, make our hearts soft that we might hear the word of God today and realize how much you love us and see the picture of Christ even in this whole story. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Bible is full of stories, uh, true stories, but nevertheless stories. And you hear the story of Noah, how he built the ark. And you hear the story of Moses and how he led the people across the Red Sea and it was dry. You read the story about Jericho and the walls falling down. And you read the story about David killing Goliath with a slingshot. And you hear about Daniel in the lion's den. But F.B. Meyer said this is the greatest story of all other than the one about Christ on the cross. His words are, as long as man lives, he will turn to this story. Only one will supersede it when the father offers his own Isaac, except there will be no 
deliverance from sacrifice. This is one of the greatest stories, and this story points to the great story of the gospel, that God gave his only son to be your savior. This morning, I want to look at these three hooks to hang your thoughts on. Our faith is tested, our faith should be logical, and our faith should understand this parable. Our faith is tested. You notice, as my mom says, right off the reel, that in Genesis chapter 22, it says, God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham, but Abraham didn't know it was a test. Abraham had no idea what was going on at this time in his life. You know, when we think of a test, I think of a test, you know, when we used to be on cable, every, so every now and then there'd be a test. You know, it would say something about the federal law, and then it would give this ear-piercing sound. You know, it's only a test. Don't get upset, you know. Or when you were uh, kids uh, and you were in elementary school, some of us remember the Cuban Missile Crisis. No, I don't remember it, but I was. We we'd get up under our desk. You know, this would be a test, like a nuclear bomb. That little bitty desk was going to do any good, you know. Or maybe when on Saturday morning at 12 o'clock the siren goes off, and you know it's nothing to it. It's just a test. But if it goes off at two in the morning, you don't know it's a test. You think it's a real thing. Abraham doesn't know this is a test. A test and a trial and a temptation all come from the same root word. They all can be translated the same, and the difference is only determined by context. The context determines what it is. In James chapter, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, which we read in Sunday school, says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking in nothing. Peter will go on later to say in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7 that the tests are like God purifying us like gold and making gold refined. The hymn says, God only desires our dross to consume and our gold to refine. But God does test his people. God tests his people. Now what do we mean by testing his people? It means that God purposely designs a trial that reveals and strengthens and purifies our faith and our dependence upon him and our walk with him. A test is a trial that reveals our faith, strengthens our faith, matures our faith so that we're complete and we're lacking in nothing. The whole purpose of a test is for good, for our good. You know, if I had that concept of tests when it comes to medical tests, I'd be a whole lot better patient. The doctor runs tests for your good to determine what is wrong and the proper mode of treatment for that disease. A test is for your good. Every test is a hard test. Tests are not fun. I know of no student that says, Woo, we're giving a test tomorrow, you know? And none of your kids come home and throw their books on and say, Hey, Mom, guess what? We've got four tests tomorrow. Hallelujah. Or you don't say, Well, the doctor orders more tests. I'm so glad. Tests are hard. They test our understanding and our trust of God, our love for Him. But what God is testing is He's testing our obedience to Him. Our faith. He's testing our faith. And faith, we said, is our proper response to the Word of God. Faith and obedience are almost synonymous. God is seeing if our faith will be obedient. Is there anything, anything He can ask us that we will not do? Is there anything that we have tucked away over there in the corner where God can't touch? We don't want Him to address that. We don't want Him to deal with that. Test reveals that. And this was not Abraham's first test. As a matter of fact, all the tests previously to this, basically Abraham failed. Maybe he didn't 
failed leaving, but stayed a little longer and took too many people. When he went down to Egypt, he failed in that he didn't trust God to protect him, but had to lie and say that Sarah was his sister. He did that not once, but twice. And not only did he not trust God to protect Sarah, he didn't trust God was going to be able to give Sarah a baby. So Sarah and Abraham together decided that Hagar would be the maidservant, would also be the mother of that child of promise, and God had to tell them, no, that wouldn't. So he, he failed at least three of his tests. And now he was being tested. What was he being tested for? Did he love Isaiah? Did he love Isaac? I keep saying Isaac too much. He had waited 25 years for that promised child. That promised child was born at 99. Can you imagine how spoiled that baby would be? You know, I grew up with four brothers or five of us. And all of us would, you could poll all of us and who's the favorite? And it's the baby, you know. It's the youngest. And the youngest always seems to, you know, they're the caboose. You know, we're not going to have another one. We've learned all this stuff. You know, he can have cake for breakfast, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so a lot of people look at this and say what had happened is, is Abraham loved Isaac too much and God was trying to pry his hand around him from around him the problem is where does it say that it might be true and it probably is true according to many, but it's not clear, so we have to tread on the ground carefully. James Montgomery Boy said, if that is the case, then it's kind of like what Watchman Nee says. Never seen that movie before. Watchman Nee wrote in his Watchman Nee wrote in his book about God giving Abraham this child as a gift. And he said this gift might have come, become too important. And the quote is, Isaac represents many gifts of God's grace. Before God gives them, our hands are empty. Afterwards, our hands are full. And sometimes God reaches out his hand to take ours in fellowship, and we need an empty hand to put into his hand. But we've received his gifts, and we're nursing them to ourselves. Our hands are full, and when God puts out his hands, we have no empty hands for him. And when that happens, we need to let go of the gift and take hold of God. Watchman Nee says, Isaac can be done away, done without, but God is eternal and is necessary. God sometimes offers us blessings, and we are so absorbed with the blessings we have we don't have room for them is what Watchman Nee is saying but maybe God is testing Abraham like he did the rich young ruler remember the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said what must I do to inherit eternal life and Jesus says you know the commandments you know honor your father and mother and all that and uh, the rich young ruler said I've done all that from my youth up I've kept those commandments. And he says, you lack one, one thing then. The one thing you lack is go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven. And the rich young ruler walked away because he had failed the test. He loved things more than he loved God. Uh, the question that I want to ask you, the question that I want to ask you is this. Has God ever tested you? Can you think of a time when God has basically put you to the test and asked you to sacrifice something. Lamar, we're going to stop and pray for you. Father, I do pray for Lamar. I thank you for his presence here and he was able to watch his grandson be baptized. I pray that these treatments that he's taken will be effective and beat back that cancer that you would miraculously bring him back to health. And give him peace of mind, even as he struggles to uh, go, uh, overcome these radiation treatments. Give him peace of mind and confidence in you. We love him, and we know you love him too. And we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. The question is that I want to ask you is, have you ever been tested?
I was thinking about this uh, this week, and I began to think about only a few times that I really have ever known that God was testing me. I didn't know it at the time. I was at Reformed Theological Seminary, and I had preached at Pickens, uh, Pickens, Mississippi, a little bitty church there. And after I preached, I, I don't know why, but they called me to be their student supply, which meant that I would have to preach every Sunday. And I was overjoyed that they wanted me to preach, but I was hesitant to say I'd do it. Now, why would you be hesitant to uh, preach? I'm training to be a preacher. You know, that's what I'm going to school for. And here's an opportunity to preach in a little church and get some experience. And I can remember so clearly walking and pondering, what should I do? Because in seminary, you have to write so many papers, you know. And you have to take so many tests. And you have to take these languages. And it's a consuming uh, job to be in seminary. And the only day I had off was Saturday. And if I was going to preach on Sunday, the only time I could write a sermon was Saturday. And I was saying, God, I mean, almost literally, I'm going, you're asking me to give up Saturday? Do you understand there's football on Saturday? And then there's basketball on Saturday? And there's Saturday! And I realized... What a foolish thing to do. And I believe God really did test me to see if I would do it. And by His grace, I passed the test. I can remember another test clearly when Dr. Benton was preaching over at First Pres, and Sarah and I were just married. And we had grown up in a church where well, we'd grown up and we'd not been taught a lot of things and not taught a lot about giving, and Wilson preached on the tithe from Malachi chapter 3 and talked about if you don't tithe, you're basically robbing God. And then he talked about what the tithe was and where it was to be given and all of that. And I was convicted. You know, I grew up selfish, you know. I grew up with a get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can, you know. And uh, to, to be called a tithe was something... I'd never heard of. And the next day, I was actually running on the golf course with one of my friends in the in the sermon with me, and I said, "What do you think about the sermon yesterday?" And he said, "Well, we talked about it, and we can't afford to tithe." And Sarah and I talked about it, and we said, "We can't afford not to. That God has confronted us with this, and we we have to." Where has God tested you? Or where is God testing you? Because your faith will be tested. It's part of growing mature and complete in the image of God. The second thing that we need to look at is not only is faith tested, but faith is logical. And some of you are scratching your head. Well, I thought faith was just the opposite. But it says in Hebrews chapter 11 that he reasoned, that Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. He, he logically, that word is logizomai. And even in the Greek, you can hear the word logic. It's logical. His, he was logically thinking about things. So many times we think of faith as what Sir and Kierkegaard said was, faith is a leap in the dark. Faith is jumping out and not knowing if anything's there. Faith has nothing to do with, with reason, logic, understanding, evidence. And Kierkegaard was a brilliant man, but he was wrong. There is an element of we don't know, but faith has understanding to it Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead and he reasoned that God could raise the dead because of God could build the whole world out of nothing in the space of six days that's what it says earlier in that if God could make everything then he can surely raise my son from the dead but he began to reason that here's the promise the promise is that I will have a child and that child will become a nation and the nation will be as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sands on the seashore. And that promise is fulfilled in, in Isaac. And if Isaac is killed, the promise is gone. But I have the promise on this hand and I have the command on this hand, take him up on Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. Not only kill him, but to burn him to ashes. And the promise and the command seem to be at conflict with one another. 
at odds with one another, but they aren't. Donald Gray Barnhouse says this, here's the method he followed. As Abraham and Isaac had walked for three days through the country, growing more and more desolate, at a slow measured pace of a burdened mule, his mind went around and around the matter, and he ultimately came to this calm conclusion. He was going to see a miracle. The method of his thought was as follows. God is not a liar. He cannot be mistaken. He told me beyond question that I should have a son. And there he walks before me. God has said that this son would be the one through whom he would fulfill all his promises. Therefore, the son must live or God would be found false. And yet God commands that his son be put to death. Here, humanly speaking, is a contradiction. But there's no contradiction in God. That is a foundational fact. There is power in God. There's wisdom in God. There's majesty in God. There's glory in God. But there are no contradictions in God. But what is to be done with God's command to sacrifice my son? Since there's no contradiction in God, there's only one answer in my mind that I can fathom, that God is going to perform a miracle and raise Isaac from the dead. There never had been a resurrection, and doubt says it might be foolish, but that doesn't make any, make any difference. A resurrection is compatible with the nature of God, but a, con but a con contradiction is not. Faith has to think. That's what meditation is. That's what pondering is. Jesus said this about worry. He says, consider the birds. Consider the birds. They don't have any mother or father. They don't have any place where they store grain up. And yet your father cares for them. And not one of them falls from the sky without his knowledge. And oh, you foolish man, are you not much more valuable than birds? You know, we will have, according to the weather, we will have a wintry mix of something. And it will be fun and dangerous and everything else and cold. And then it will be 50 next week. And there's one thing you won't see. There won't be a yard full of dead birds. And you probably won't even see where they hide or shelter. Because God takes care of them. And God is going to take care of us. We might not know how. But God is going to take care of us. Consider the birds. Think about it. In Romans chapter 6, it says, Consider him who died to sin so that you can die to sin. The Apostle Paul says your, your holy life is considering. If Jesus died for sins, can't you die to sins? And shouldn't you die to sin? Romans chapter 8, If God gave you his only son, will he not with you also freely give you whatever you need? You think about it. That if God gave his son, won't he give you what you need? Faith is logical, it's reasoning, it's thinking, it's pondering. My friend Paul Bankston calls it gospel reasoning needs to be given to the scriptures. One more point, faith is tested, faith is logical, faith understands a parable. I'll explain that in a minute. So they're on Mount Moriah, and they're walking up the hill of the mountain. And Abraham and Isaac are walking together, and, and Isaac says, Dad, I see the wood, see the knife, I see the rope, where's the lamb? I don't know how old Isaac was, it doesn't say. But he was old enough to, like he was old enough to think. He had seen enough sacrifices that obviously understood, Dad, we're lit missing something here. We're missing a lamb. We're missing a sacrifice. And so if he understood that, he was either small enough and quick enough to run and get away, or he was strong enough to understand, and he willingly became a sacrifice like his dad told him. His dad said, son, you've got to understand. 
that God has asked me to sacrifice you, but I've determined that what God is going to do is going to raise you from the dead. And I believe that Isaac was willing. There's no struggle. There's no running. There's no chasing. And he was bound to that altar. And when the knife was picked up, an angel and a voice from heaven said, Abraham, Abraham, don't harm that boy. And Isaac was able to understand that his dad loved God more than anything else. And God could ask him to do anything. But he also saw that lamb being sacrificed for him. When Isaac says, Dad, where's the lamb? Abraham says, God will provide. That word provide means to see. God will see to it. Where's the sacrifice? God will see to that. That's what it means. God will see to that. He'll provide for that. And God did provide for that. He saw that ram, and the ram was taken, and he was tied to the altar, and he was slain, and he was consumed by fire. And God had provided a sacrifice. And going back to Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Underline that word figuratively, because it means in a parable. Clint's teaching on the parables, and he's going to get to this, I'm sure. A parable literally means to lay something side by side to something else, to throw it down side by side and compare it. Well, what is the parable here? It's a true story, but what is the parable here? You lay Jesus and you lay Isaac down side by side and compare them. There's a lot of comparison. They're the one and only son. They're the one that's loved. Isaac carried the wood. Jesus carried the cross. They went up on Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is where, the, where archaeologists have determined that the temple was built at Jerusalem. So Mount Moriah was also where Golgotha was. So they both went up the same mountain. They both were willing sacrifices. And the only difference, the only difference is that God sacrificed his son. Abraham so loved God that he was willing to give his son. But God so loved the world that he gave his son. That whosoever should believe in him should have life. And have life everlasting. A friend of mine taught me a long time ago that when you study a parable, the great thing is you get to choose which character you are. And when we read this parable, which character do you see you being? I sometimes see myself as Abraham. What if God asked me to do something like that? What if God asked me to sacrifice something real precious? Could I do it? But I don't think we should compare ourselves so much to Abraham as to Isaac. We're like Isaac. We've had a sacrifice for us. Instead of us dying, Christ died. And that's what you say every week in the Apostles' Creed. He descended into hell. Whatever hell is, the separation of God. Christ took it for us. So God is saying to us today that I have sacrificed. I have not withheld my only son, the one that I love. But I'm giving him to you. That you might have life. And you might have life everlasting. Put your faith, your saving faith. And the son who died for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are loving enough that you would give your only son to be our savior. And we realize that faith is really a gift. Uh, or we would boast about it. Would you work faith in our heart? Father, you have tested us. We have failed so many times. Uh, help us to mature and grow complete in our faith. Help us to understand this story so that we might understand if Christ has died for us, that we should be willing to live for him and live forever. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our closing hymn is hymn number 699, Like a River Glorious.
saving faith is living faith, and living faith is empowered by the Holy Spirit working in our heart. And the benediction reminds you that we, because of God's great love for us in Christ and the pouring out of His Spirit, we can walk in a way that pleases Him. Receive now the benediction. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good thing for doing His will. And may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Grace be with you all. Amen.